Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Open Door Philanthropy Conference Special. We brought our microphones down to the Nexus U.S. Summit this year at the United States Institute of Peace. And in plain view of the Lincoln Memorial, over the course of two days, we conducted 10 interviews with a diverse array of conference delegates. Some of our guests, like Hank Love from the American Jobs Project, were actively fundraising. And I was able to convince Hank to submit a proposal to the unfunded list that's currently under review. Other guests, like Karen Yanis, were active funders. Karen ran Oprah Winfrey's foundation for 10 years. I was able to convince Karen to join the evaluation committee. We had a bunch of other cool folks sit down with us who were a little bit harder to find. On a personal note, this was just an absolute blast for me. Uh, I got the chance to interview some of my favorite people in a beautiful setting. We had amazing conversations. I hope you'll listen and understand that these represent just a microcosm of my own participation in Nexus over the years. I've been attending this conference for almost nine years now. Each conversation you listen to here, whether I've just met our guest or known them for years, is reminiscent of hundreds of conversations I've had in the halls of Nexus over the years. People ask me often how I've built such an impressive network. Uh, And I can tell you that it's because of conversations like these. At the very least, I think you'll find them entertaining. Please note that these were recorded live on site in a less than ideal acoustic circumstance. You can pretty much always hear me because I'm basically Shrek. Uh, But sometimes our guests are a little bit harder to hear. We'll do our best to make transcripts available since every word of these conversations were important and interesting. Uh, But for now, I hope you enjoy. This is day two at the Nexus U.S. Summit and interview two. I'm uh, sitting here with Melissa Jane, uh, otherwise known as MJ. Hello, MJ. Hi, David. Uh, Why don't you uh, start from the beginning? Where are you from? I'm from New York. Um, I grew up on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and I live now just across the street from the United Nations. Um, Lived in the city all my life. A few years here in D.C. for college, which was lots of fun, but city girl all the way. Uh, outstanding. You like New York? I love New York. I am, yeah. I am the quintessential New Yorker. Do you... I don't know how you live in a place that doesn't have 24-hour bodegas. It makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. No pizza at 2 a.m., no Starbucks. No 20, just a, yeah. it's a, every New Yorker says, I don't know how. Like we, You can get Indian food at 3 a.m. And I'm like, <laughs> I've literally never get, wanted that. It's <laughs> never occurred to me. It's not, <laughs> not a, it's not a problem that I knew I had. Um, though, although, increasingly, we can get Indian food here in D.C. The... Um, uh, have you, uh, uh, what's the longest you've spent outside of New York? Um, so I lived in D.C. for five years. Oh, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I went yeah. to GW, where we're pretty close to. And then I worked, um, actually, for the DNC before I became a Republican and worked for Republicans. Interesting. What did you do at the DNC? Um, I worked uh, with Terry McAuliffe and Jan Moore. Um, and there I met Donna Brazil, who I later became her director of media affairs. Really? And working for the DNC and with the Democrats and on the Kerry campaign made me realize that I'm not a Democrat. And that um, that was not where I was most comfortable. I kind of aimlessly floated around for a bit. And then John McCain was really what inspired me to switch parties. And I think that's that's a quintessential Republican. That's, that's a Republican that can make all Americans proud. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you 
uh, yourself were a candidate for office. I was. I ran uh, for city council in Manhattan in District 4. I ran as a young Republican because I wanted young Republicans and Republicans in general to believe that they had a voice um, because I do not believe that our president, Donald Trump, represents the Republican Party, uh, the Republican morals and values, nor the morals and values that I hold dear as a self-identified Republican. Uh, so, talk to, I think uh, there is a, uh, and I'm very excited about it, uh, a, a stark increase in the number of uh, women filing to run for office. Uh, currently, and in general, though this is, these are people who are you know, like you don't agree with Donald Trump, but are running uh, as Democrats. One, I think you were a little bit ahead of the trend on that, uh, and also chose to run as a Republican in New York City. Yeah. Um, but it, but uh, <laughs> you've, uh, 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 I think, no one's ever accused you of not being unique. It's probably. <laughs> <laughs> are not trying to live aligned with what I think is the best Absolutely. and most moral way to but, uh, So uh, what we do here at Unfunded List is for people who have a good social impact idea, and I think running for office for a lot of people is a good social impact idea. Um, right, very, uh, just because you have a good idea like that doesn't mean you know how to raise money for it. Uh, which is, and we try, and what we do is we try to help those folks. You've uh, helped out with some proposals in the past. Thanks very much. Absolutely, I love uh, it. But in general, uh, how do you? Um, um, <laughs> uh, sorry, David Jeffy. Quick interruption there. Let me start in. Um, so tell me about. Uh, I mean, did, uh, so I know some places have public financing. Uh, did you raise money for your campaign? Yes. So um, we were we were unique um, in the sense that we were able to raise an enormous amount of money in small donations, which was my strategy. I, enormous. I, yeah. Well, I mean, for a city council <laughs> race. I mean, so the way most Republicans run in New York is they either self fund or they get a couple of large donors to come together and they raise that money and they choose not to take public funds. My goal was to get as many people as possible to give us just $10 to prove that um, the numbers were there. So, for example, we raised in... Did in, I give you $10? You, you... I think I did. I think you gave me money <laughs> and you wrote probably the nicest testimonial for my website equating me to uh, Senator Olympia Snow, which I would say is probably the greatest political compliment I'd ever received because I don't think there's... Olympia's any, fantastic. Yeah, she's amazing. And if, if she's listening, hello, Olympia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Olympia, we, we love you. <laughs> she was um, friends with my mom. I, 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 and, and that's what made the compliment even more so special because I know that you've known her on a personal level um, and weren't just speaking from, you know... I can't curse on the air, can I? Oh, uh, you can. Oh, okay, this is an fantastic. adult podcast. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> I, I would not want to deny you your full range of expression. <laughs> and you know I like to express myself <laughs> yes. um, quite a bit. Um, I think but the cool thing about our campaign was, you know, so my Republican opponent on the other side, she raised, we, we dropped out a bit early, but she, um, she, over the course of the whole time, she raised around the same amount that we did, um, but only from a handful of donors. And we had over 170 donors raise us $56,000. So it's not, it wasn't in our camp, that's why we had a lot of attention, because people were like, whoa, why are so many people willing to give five or 10 or 15 or $20 to a female Republican candidate on the Upper East Side of Manhattan? And I think it was our message. We were very clear that we were post-partisan. I don't think transpartisan or bipartisan really works. It's not working. I'm postpartisan. I could care less what your party affiliation is. I just want to sit down and figure out what these problems mm -hmm. are. And we were also 
very intent on moving forward an idea which I like to call progressive conservatism, which is the concept that returns to the morals and values of the party as Teddy Roosevelt saw it, as Lincoln saw it, um, as our founding fathers saw original republicanism. And as you said, you know, I think you thought I was a bit ahead of the curve on some of the stuff. Interestingly, the Republican Party in New York was adamantly opposed to this concept of progressive conservatism. But just last week, I got word that they launched a new Republican movement to revitalize Republicans in New York, and it's called Progress Republicans. So <laughs> thank you, uh, Trendsetter. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that it's, it's just, I think what was exciting and fun about doing this. That must just, be, I mean, you must find that that's, I mean, there's some resentment there, yes. right? Because you would have preferred they, like, yeah, agreed with they, you. they agreed you, with me when I was doing it. <laughs> it must also, like, feel kind of good. Like, I think you, you you might be right to claim some credit in pushing them towards that. Right? I think it's exciting that um, the Republican Party in New York is no longer afraid of the word progress, because you shouldn't be. But more importantly, I think as a Republican in New York, we need to, we need to remind ourselves that we actually are different than other parts of other Republicans in other parts of the country. Um, but I also think it's a reminder that the Republican Party, as the Democratic Party, are broad, beautiful social movements that encompass a lot of different things. I am a Republican that would fight to the death of me for transgender and LGBTQ rights in general. And, you know, and, and you know, that was problematic when I was running. And then near the end of my race, all of a sudden, you know, the Republican Club in New York is hosting an event on gay Republicans. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, so I think we need to push the envelope in places like New York so that Republicans elsewhere don't feel like they have to be inhibited by the Donald Trumps and the Roy Moores of the world. Uh, absolutely. Um, you should definitely not be intimidated by Roy Moore. <laughs> no. Especially after you've seen him ride a horse. Yes, to uh, the polling <laughs> station with his, with his great hat on. Great, great hat on. You, that is not, if anybody's, if anybody's Googling that now, like don't, that's not a how-to on how to ride a horse. Do not do it that way. Um, the, so uh, when you're not running for office uh, and when you're not attending uh, Nexus Summits, uh, what, are, what are you doing with, you, with yourself? So I run a company called Passion for a Purpose, and the, uh, we're a social impact consultancy. So we get to work with companies, individuals, um, and charities, helping them just get to the next place that they want to go to or to start something that they're passionate about. Really, whatever your end goal is, as long as it's to make the world a better place for someone else, we'll pop in and help you out to do that whether that means building out a board, fundraising, designing campaigns, hosting events, really help anyway and bring on the people that we can find that are the best in your space and with the things that you need, try to bring them on pro bono. So, you know, I work with a great guy over at, at Fox Digital who does, you know, he's deeply passionate about social causes and he jumps on and helps us with a lot of our digital marketing and websites for a lot of the clients that we work with and he does it because he's passionate about helping. And so I decided a couple years ago to use my network to provide access to people who are not as fortunate as I am getting to attend cool things like this and having the friends that we have from uh, an organization like Nexus, that we could widen that and really broaden what it means to build a culture for the people around the world. Mm -hmm. um, wow, that's awesome. Uh, the, um, uh, uh, so I'm, I, I obviously know about uh, uh, Passion for a Purpose. I get a some sort of Facebook notification on a basically a daily basis. And an email, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, no, and uh, it's actually, uh, it's impressive to me. You know, I think a lot, uh, another challenge that a lot of the unfunded folks that send me proposals have, uh, and, and, and one that I have as well, uh, is, you know, I'm doing good work and I want people to know about it. Uh, and, and you're competing with a lot of noise out there. 
Uh, generally, I always know what MJ's up to because I think you do a really good job of, uh, and I, I, I'm, in the, I'm a member of the Facebook group, Team MJ. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, so uh, talk to me a little bit about your strategy, like, because, uh, you know, it, you're doing a really good, everybody's, you know, up to speed, right? And you do have a good network and everything. And I, I think a lot of the folks will be able to learn from how you do that. So, so um, I think it was uh, both a, a matter of a little bit of luck, but also a matter of circumstance. I like to look at Scott. Um, over at Charity Water, Harrison is a good example. You know, here's a guy that was a big, I mean, I remember because I was a kid in the 90s. Club promoter, a big right? club promoter. He threw the hottest parties, he had the coolest friends. You know, everyone wanted to hang out with Scott Harrison. And then one day he kind of woke up like we all do and said, well, I'm, shit, I'm not going to do this forever. There's only so many bottles you can pop. And I so assume many every club promoter has, at one yes, day wakes up and says, like, I have to stop doing yeah, this. Yeah, I'm not going out tonight. <laughs> like, I just, I can't. And I think that, that that's kind of, not that I was, you know, I did anything like Scott, but that was kind of the sense in my mind was that like you know I had this huge network lots of friends let's start getting and I, th and I threw parties just you know in college and high school and I said well if people are willing to come out for a great party let's see if they're willing to come out if I give them a little bit of free booze and cupcakes and they're willing to spend 10 minutes listening about something that I'm working on and so I tried it for the first time ever I remember it was in 2006 I hosted um a party the way I normally would, but it was for a charity instead. The charity was the focus of the evening. And, you know, about two, I, I'd only planned for about a 75 people and 200 people showed up. And it was an enormous success, and I thought, oh, wow, okay. Well, I don't even think this many people would have showed up had I just been throwing a silly party or a fun party or, hey, let's get smashed party. Uh, but they were really pumped about coming out and learning. And I thought, all right, well, I'm going to keep doing that. And the network grew and grew and grew. And I, I, there's definitely something to be said about oversaturation. I do definitely have those people who tell me, you put too much out there. But what I don't... I, I would disagree. It's never like... And I, some people do that, right? Yeah. And, I, and some of them are in this room right yeah. now. Yes. Right? And I'm just like, oh, my God, another email from you. This one says the same thing as, yes. the, as the last one. And you're asking me for too much. I, I find yours are just... You see, I mean, it, it is frequent, but it's also, uh, I would say, uh, you have a very genuine tone with the communication. It's not very staid, like very clear. It's very obvious that MJ wrote this post. Yes, I, yeah, <laughs> I think that's anything that maybe that answers yes. your question the best way is that I do I, I maintain complete control over our messaging mm -hmm. and our visual presentation to the world because... I, you know, I say to a lot of people, if you're going to hire a social media firm, you're going to get somebody who's going to look at you as a nine-to-five job. And when you look at a, so a project as a nine-to-five job, it's not going to work. So you're working with refugees, and at 3 a.m., you know, a story breaks about Rohingya. Well, no one's going to tweet about that that you hired until maybe 9, 10, 11, maybe noon the next day when, it, when they realize, oh, something happened to the Rohingya refugees. I would get a message. I'd wake up. I would tweet, we must help the Rohingyas now, quickly. Email me, you know, and get up and start working. And that's always been... Don't bang the table. Oh, yeah, that's hard. <laughs> I've always felt, I feel like too many people definitely outsource their messaging. I think there's a lot to be said about keeping that coming from you and making the time to commit to your social media, to your emails, and to being the voice of your own brand. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I also think it's probably true that you, you seem to enjoy it. You do enjoy writing it. those posts. I love it. Um, that's terrific. Uh, so uh, one of our applicants from last round is here as well, and I know um, uh, that uh, you've been helping her out in her cause. I think she's very lucky to have that help. I think a lot of the, uh, the folks that apply to us uh, would like to have MJ's help with their project and stuff. Uh, how, is it, how do you like to be approached from social entrepreneurs who want your help? Sure, just shoot me an email. 
shoot me an email, get you my number from Dave, whatever you want, shoot me an email and send, tell me what your project's about. Tell me where you're not reaching your goals and what you think the reason is. And then I'm happy to schedule a call, sit down, have a conversation, and let you know where and how I can help. I literally spend about half my day talking to people who say, this is my problem, what should I do? And I find that really at the end of the day, most of the answers are best solved by making a couple of introductions to people that may inspire or lead or support. I don't even mean financially, just that person that I think would be great um, for them. I, mean, mm -hmm. I was working recently with a survivor and um, I knew that I wasn't uh, equipped for all the conversations I was having with this young woman and um, I knew I was going through her social media and I, re I realized that she wrote beautiful poetry. And so I thought, wow, I, I should call up Brooke Axtell, who's a member of Nexus, who uh, performed on stage with Katy Perry, spoken word about domestic violence at the Grammys. And I called up Brooke and I said, you know, would you talk to this young woman? You're a survivor, you're a writer. I think she can be inspired and I think that relationship would flourish. And I think the simplest solutions are looking inwards and being honest with your friends and saying, I know someone that can really use your help. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of us say no when people say I need your help. Uh, absolutely. That has been my experience as well. It's one of the most powerful things we can do at the Unfunded List is uh, introductions. Uh, we have been able, we have connected people with the folks that ended up writing them very large checks uh, on occasion. And one of my favorite expressions uh, is something my grandmother used to say: "There's always uh, more money in the Rolodex than uh, there is in the bank account," which is true for uh, Mosses uh, and. <laughs> Uh, Smiths is also true for Buffets and Gates and Slims. The, they can, uh, everybody uh, can sort of do this stuff. Uh, and uh, so it's great to hear you, uh, to, to hear you say that. And you have um, suggested contact for some of our folks in the past. You can go straight through the unfunded list. You tell Dave Moss <laughs> you'd like to set up a meeting with me. He'll forward your email along. I am anyone that knows Dave as a family team. And you will be evaluating proposals for us this round? I cannot wait. Uh, finally finished my PhD, so. Oh yes, uh, which, uh, which is another thing we didn't even mention. <laughs> Amongst all of this activity, also managed to get, do you, are, do you, are you finished with your PhD? I handed in my doctoral dissertation about three weeks ago and they approved so it for the defense. So you'll have to defend soon? Yes, I'm defending. I'm not going to tell anybody when I'm defending it. It's happening in the next 30 days. I'm not telling anybody just in case I fail. And I well, want to be able to spend the 24 hours sulking under my bed with my puppies and a bottle of wine. Maybe you will come and hide under the bed with me. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Let me know, shoot me an email, yeah. we'll see if we can schedule something. Um, you shouldn't, I, I, it is not uh, the end of the world if you don't um, uh, get through it on Seven your first Seven years. My, uh, both of my parents have them. $150,000 feels like a lot of things yes. to give up right now if I don't pass. Uh, but I, I, uh, I grew up on a college campus and I remember like often, like, my, like sometimes my parents' friends, it was very strange to me as a child. I remember one time when, um, one of them, when he finally finished his PhD, and this guy's like 45 years old, <laughs> and I'm like in sixth grade, and I'm just like, this guy just finished going to school? How like, yep. how long is all this gonna last? I'm 35, <laughs> I get that, yep. But get, uh, getting a PhD is very serious stuff. You need to, you need to expand the, the entirety of human knowledge a little bit. Yeah. If you don't come up with something new, then, then right. they're not gonna give you that degree. Right, my professor always says, you know, it's like getting your union card, you know, you gotta, you gotta prove to everyone that you have something incremental, even incremental, to add to the body of knowledge you're pursuing. And uh, in that capacity, I, I hope that they've read all 632 pages and they are comfortable with my That's a lot of incremental, if you can call that 632 pages, you know, information that I've tried to provide.
-hmm. Well, the proposals uh, that I sent you this round will be shorter than 630. If anybody is out there with a 632-page grant proposal, don't don't send don't that one. It. We don't want it. It will be really hard for me to get you good feedback on that. <laughs> uh, we did get one that was 45 pages last round, and uh, I was surprised a couple of, couple of evaluators read it. But in general, uh, the, the this order stuff is uh, is folks. Obviously, uh, our evaluators are very busy people. <laughs> well, we, we make time for those who need it, and I think that's what makes Dave Unfunded List unique. He's opened a platform for people to really reach out and say, help mm -hmm. me, help me be better, help me achieve my goals, tell me what I'm doing wrong, and set me on that right path. And we uh, and uh, we definitely do help them, uh, uh, but I I honestly don't think uh, don't really think about it that way. Uh, I want the world to be a better place, and these yes. are the people these are the people that can do it. Mm -hmm. So quite like ultimately, they're going to help me uh, uh, you know, more than maybe I can be more helpful right now. Uh, but you know, ultimately, they're gonna, they're the ones that are going to go out and they're going to stop human trafficking. They're going to save the planet. They're going to conserve the trees, save the water. It's uh, deeply inspiring. Whatever it is that they're the, do. when you send them, it's deeply inspiring. That's a lot of fun. Wow, I always I always think the same thing. Why didn't this get funded? You know, unfunded. List. Yes, I wonder. I wonder <laughs> as well. And if there are funders out there listening, the list is available on the website, and there are links to donate to all the proposals that yep, made the list last round. Uh, really good ideas up there. Too. <laughs> right, thank you very much, MJ. I'm going to let you enjoy the rest of the summit. Thank you so much. We are so grateful for having me on, Dave. No problem. Thanks.